This is the MLW Radio Network. Hello, how are you? Happy afternoon. I uh, hope your Thursday is going well. This is Mike Freeland for Front Row Material. I wanted to stop by and, and drop another uh, little podcast and, and talk to you guys about some of my thoughts on wrestling, especially what has happened this past week. For those of you who join us each and every Tuesday night on Front Row Material Live on Twitch, I do appreciate that. Uh, we are still trying to get some more followers, so if you wouldn't mind letting a friend know that you like the show, and if you could get them just to hit the subscribe button or the follow button, that would mean a lot to us. All right, let's kind of get right into it. This week in wrestling was really interesting. Several things um, that I want to talk about. Not so much Monday Night Raw, so if you are a WWE fan, would like to hear maybe somebody's thoughts about Monday Night Raw. This is probably not going to be the podcast for you today. Um, and I'll kind of explain why. There's a lot of people who believe that I'm just a big WWE hater, and that's not true. Now, what the aspect of WWE that I do not like is the fact that it is so formulaic, it is so cookie cutter, and if you miss one week, it doesn't matter. If you miss watching two weeks, it doesn't matter. See, the problem with WWE is, in my opinion, and that's all this is, it's just my opinion, one man's opinion, is that they do the same thing repetitively all the time. It's the same shtick. And for having so much as what, 30 or 40 writers and allegedly a great creative department, this is the best you're able to put out there. It's just not interesting. And I hadn't watched Raw for several weeks, and then I watched again. And I thought, well, wait a minute, I'm not really missing anything. Nothing really has changed since the last time I watched it. So if you want your product to be interesting and you want your audience to continue to tune in each and every week, you're going to have to make it a little bit more compelling. You're going to have to make it, I hate to say this, you know, stealing a uh, catchphrase from NBC, but must-see TV. This is clearly not that. It's not even remotely close to that. And I think WWE knows that. And I think they also realize that right now, there's a lot of other things that are going on. Hey, the NBA Finals are going on right now. That's a big thing. We just wrapped up the Stanley Cup. Baseball season's happening right now. Pretty soon training camps for the NFL are going to be starting to... The summer is definitely a difficult and low point traditionally for pro wrestling. But WWE is not doing anything to try to counteract that. They're not trying to enhance any of their storylines. In fact, if anything else, people have more questions than they have answers. So that's why I don't really talk about WWE, whether it's it's something like this or if it's on front row material or for a material uh, dark, I just don't really feel like it's something that I am interested in talking about. There's nothing inherently exciting about what they're doing. Now, to that I will say this. WWE always somehow tries to pull a rabbit out of their hat, you know, talking about maybe bringing The Rock back for SummerSlam or maybe bringing John Cena back at some point in time. There's been a tease for that. And John's gone on record saying, I will be back in WWE just when I don't know. And then most recently, Paul Heyman has kind of teased and he alluded to the return of Brock Lesnar. But how many times can you do that, honestly? 
Brock's in his 40s. We've basically seen everything there is that Brock can do. I mean, there's nothing unique about Brock at this point. You know, he was the next big thing. You know, he came into WWE in 2002. And he's a great athlete, don't get me wrong, but, I mean, he comes in, he's here for a short period of time, and then he leaves again. So, I don't know if, if Brock Lesnar necessarily is the magical elixir that is going to somehow make WWE interesting for at least a period of time or not. Whether The Rock comes in for SummerSlam, whether John Cena eventually comes back or not, who knows. But for me, it's just not interesting enough to talk about. And I realize I just probably spent the, the first four minutes of this talking about them, but I at least wanted to, to cover that. I don't hate anybody. I don't wish anybody gets fired. I just am not a fan of what they are doing. Now, on the flip side, um, I have been a fan for a long time of NXT. I have not gotten a chance to see the Great American Bash with, uh, with NXT yet, so I will eventually be talking about that as well. So if you would like to hear my thoughts on that, Definitely go ahead and stay tuned uh, for another dropping of a podcast. I'll definitely talk about that. Um, I'm going to talk about AEW, and not just because my good buddy Jerry Lynn works there, and not just because I feel like it is an exciting product. I like the way AEW is doing their booking. And for some of you who may be new to wrestling, booking is just another way of how they tell their stories, how they put characters together how they put these characters together, and how they work together to create a story that they are telling inside the ring. I feel like that's really interesting. I'm going to get into the results of what happened on Dynamite because I think there was some great moments and there were some moments that I felt didn't quite live up to expectation. But before we get to that, a couple of news points that I want to talk about. Um, the Terry Funk situation, I definitely want to address. You know, for the last, I guess, couple of years now, since his wife Vicky has passed away, I have heard rumblings, obviously through social media and through some individuals that I know, that um, it's been tough on Terry. I mean, I can't even begin to imagine what it's like to lose your spouse. I can't. Uh, and I don't want to. Um, but it's been tough on him. His wrestling career has been tough on him, tough on his body. And we have recently just found out this past week that uh, Terry is getting care at an assisted living facility for his body um, and for, um, you know, cognitively, he's getting some assistance there. So we hope that he definitely continues to heal and get better. It's it's sad to see people that you looked up to and really just loved watching them get older. And I feel like that's unfortunately something that we just have to come to terms with, whether it's our parents whether it's other family members, time happens. People get older, and it's very difficult to see that. And I think for, for people like us who are wrestling fans, it's even harder for us because, you know, we may not be into the comic books or we may not be into the superheroes or, you know, fill in the blank, whatever it may be. I wasn't that guy. My superheroes, my villains and good guys, whatever you want to call them, were wrestlers. So... You know, it's not like a different actor can play Superman and Superman stays this young, vibrant, um, man full of vitality and great hair and the muscles in the body. No, my guys are wrestlers. And unfortunately, they age just like all of us. Unfortunately, a lot of times they age faster than the average person 
because of what they put their bodies through. And there was a picture that was circulating on social media of Terry sitting at the grave of his wife, Vicky. And if that doesn't pull at your heartstrings, you're just not human. And that's just the way it is. It's very hard to see a picture like that. And we recently had an interview with C.W. Anderson on Front Row Material Live. And, and he talked about it as well. And he talked about just the abuse that your body goes through in pro wrestling, specifically in a promotion like ECW. And we've heard Mikey Whipwreck even talk about how the physicality has taken a toll on his body. Jerry has talked about how the physicality in wrestling has taken a toll on his body. This is nothing new. I'm not giving you any revelations or insider information. This is all public. But it's just one of these things that it just makes it very difficult to see these people and to see how difficult life has been for them post-ring. I know we saw a video, I guess this was about two weeks ago now, of Paul Orndorff and the state that he is in right now. And it looked, and I don't know this, but it looked like he was in a facility that was that was helping him as well. And it's just hard. It's hard to see videos like that. Do I think that video needed to be made? Absolutely not. Um, I think that if his son wanted to keep Paul's fans up to date on how Paul is doing, I think he could have easily said something on social media. I don't think he needed to put a video on there. I think the video definitely did not uh, put Paul in a good light. And I don't think Paul, if he knew what was going on, uh, would have wanted something like that to be out there. But those are just my my thoughts on that. And it's uh, it's it's just, I don't know, it's a, tough, uh, it's a tough one between seeing Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff and then seeing Terry Funk and wanting to wish them nothing but the very best, but also knowing that there's a sense of reality also that time catches up with everybody. And the business of professional wrestling is unlike any other. You know, these guys go 300 plus days a year, and it's a very physical and very demanding profession. And it just takes its toll. Um, we talked on Front Row Material about the situation with Jimmy Uso. And we talked specifically about how when he got pulled over and he was given the field sobriety test, how he actually admitted to the police officer that he had had several beers before he got behind the wheel and drove. And that, um, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, how dumb can you be? He's not dumb. He's not a dumb person. What's happening here is he's got a problem and he needs help. And whatever the underlying reason for, you know, his, his alcohol consumption needs to be addressed. You know, I don't ever want to see people go down to these dark holes because of something that can be helped or alleviated. But there's new details that are being revealed regarding Jimmy Uso's recent DUI arrest in the police report. And I want to give credit. Uh, this is Mark Milton from Wrestling Inc. Love Wrestling Inc. and our good friend Raj Geary. I'm going to read this to you as verbatim, so, so stay with me here. As noted, Uso was arrested Monday night in Pensacola, Florida, after being stopped by police who witnessed him run a red light while speeding. He later failed a sobriety test and was taken to jail overnight for a misdemeanor DUI, speeding and running the red light. He was bailed out of jail the next morning. Obviously, you can see his mugshot if you look at this article. The police report notes that Pensacola police officer William Roper 
uh, was running radar in the area of Garden and I Streets on Monday night in a marked patrol car, and he observed Uso's white Dodge Charger traveling east in the inner lane. Uso was clocked going 50 and a 35, and while the officer was catching up on Uso's car, he observed the vehicle running a red light at Garden Street and A Street. Uso was then pulled over near Garden Street. Uh, the officer immediately smelled a strong odor of alcohol, and after identifying him, he returned to the car and asked Uso to step out. Uso walked to the rear of the car and was seen swaying. Roper asked Uso if he had consumed any alcohol that night, and it was reported that Uso had said multiple beers. Uh, the officer then asked Uso to do a field sobriety test, which he agreed to. Uso then walked with officers to the parking lot of an Everman's Cooperative Grocery and Cafe at 315 West Garden Street, where he did the field sobriety test. The officer said that Uso was unable to keep his head still and he had multiple signs of inebriation um, and involuntary eye movement. So he had hard time keeping his balance is basically what's happening here. So he got arrested. Um, Pensacola Police Department said he gave a breathalyzer test. He blew a 0.202 and a 0.205, which is well above the legal limit of 0.08 in Florida. So that is what's going on. Now, this is not the first time that he has been uh, in the spotlight for things happening. Jimmy Uso got his second DUI in the last two years, obviously, for similar charges in July of 2019 in the same city. A jury later found him not guilty in that case, despite police video that showed him swerving while driving, then stumbling during his arrest. Uso was all arrested also in early 2019 for allegedly getting into a drunken uh, dispute with police in Detroit. So, he needs help. He definitely needs help. He needs someone to step in, and whether that is family, whether that is the WWE, I don't know who it needs to be, but someone needs to. If you truly care about somebody, you don't want to see them go down these roads. Okay, because this doesn't end well. This does not end well. We've seen the dark side of the ring. When people do not get the necessary help in some situations, things can continue to escalate and get worse and get worse and get worse. And I don't know. A lot of people were pissed. Um, I would be pissed as well. I lost some family members many years ago uh, to drinking and driving. And I know how that feels to get the phone call. And it's horrible. And I don't wish anyone to have to get that phone call. Now, I, I do know people have gotten that phone call. And it changes you forever. And it's something that you never really get over either. And that's, it just stings. It stings and, you know, you never, your mind never completely gets past that. Um, it, days and weeks and months and years go by and, and you accept it to some degree, but it never fully goes away. And that's really, really tough. So anyway, that's, uh, that's the situation I wanted to talk about regarding Terry Funk and Paul Orndorff, and then obviously the Jimmy Uso situation, which we wish him the best. Um, he needs help, and I hope WWE or whomever it may be steps in to do something, because if not, these things can go sideways awfully fast. All right, let's head to AEW Dynamite uh, Road Rager. It was 
Wednesday Night Live on TNT. I was excited. I was really, really excited about this. And it wasn't because I had any insider information or I felt like somebody made debut or anything to that nature. I just was excited to see what the responses to the wrestlers that the crowd was going to give them. And I know that the last several weeks, if not the last month or so, they had live crowds at Daly's Place, which was awesome. And I was excited about seeing what was going to happen tonight with a larger crowd. So they start off the event with a strap match, Cody Rhodes versus QT Marshall. Uh, I thought it was good. I thought on a scale of one to five, I would give it a solid three, maybe three and a half. I don't feel like it went super long. It probably wasn't intended to go super long. I felt like Cody did a really good job. I mean, he showed a lot of fire. He told a great story. I feel like QT just still isn't there. And I don't know if QT is ever going to be a top heel. I just don't, I don't feel it. And you're, you're probably asking yourself, what do you mean you don't feel it? I don't feel QT Marshall is the type of guy who just has that instinct, that killer instinct, that nasty, dastardly, MJF type of heelish personality. And not to say that you have to have an over-the-top personality to be a good heel, because you don't. You know, Jake Roberts was, was very quiet and soft-spoken, yet he was a really, really dastardly heel. But there needs to be something compelling about the heel to make you hate them. And so far, there's really nothing that we can say that we hate about QT Marshall. I mean, obviously, he jumped uh, Cody and the Nightmare family. I get it. He has his own faction called The Factory. I get it. But there's there's just nothing there that I can invest myself in and say, you know what? This is good. I like this. I like the direction it's going in. Now, do I think some of the other guys in The Factory could turn into stars? I do. I just don't have that feeling about QT Marshall. You may agree with me. You may disagree with me. Those are just my thoughts. So the opening match was the strap match, which I thought was interesting. Um, next we had Kenny Omega and Don Callis in the ring. And I'm telling you right now, the combination between Kenny and Don is golden. Kenny is good on the mic, but I think Don being his mouthpiece is even better. The more I watch Don Callis, the more I am understanding how important he is to that whole element of the Bullet Club or whatever you want to refer to them as right now. He is so vital to that part of the elite. Um, he just, he instigates and he incites people and he's just overall incredibly entertaining. I had a conversation with somebody a couple days ago and they said, Mike, who do you think is more entertaining as a mouthpiece? Is it Don Callis or is it Paul Heyman? And I thought that was a great question. I mean, because think about this. For years now, Paul Heyman has been the mouthpiece for, obviously, Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns and even the big show before that. And he's just this guy who incites so much disdain. And for the longest time, I never saw anybody else do that until I saw how well Don Callis works with Kenny and the Good Brothers, 
and the Young Bucks. And I'm like, man, this guy's just really good. So they come out here and they're cutting a promo. They're talking about how Kenny has no one left to defend the title against, what's going to happen. And the crowd starts to chant for Hangman. And Hangman comes out. Hangman gets jumped uh, by the Good Brothers and Kenny. And things start going haywire. But then Hangman fights back, fights everybody off, goes to the outside. Kenny's staggering in the ring. He's about to do the buckshot lariat. And they just stare at each other. This was so good on so many levels, and let me explain to you why. First of all, you are building up Hangman Adam Page to be a guy who's fighting against all odds to get something that he rightfully belongs, that he feels belongs to him. If you remember back when it was the Young Bucks versus Kenny and Hangman for the tag titles, and Hangman was kind of on the outs with the Elite, and they had talked about, we plucked you out of obscurity, and we put you in our group. And it was, it was, that was the beginning of that dissension that was kind of existing between the elite and Hangman. And then it started to grow even further. And then Hangman kind of went on his own. And then Hangman got adopted by the Dark Order. And then you start to see his confidence start to come back. And you start to see a really strong hangman Adam Page. And then all of a sudden, you're starting to see the resurgence of Adam Page. And where Adam Page doesn't need necessarily to rely on the elite or what they had allegedly done for him to get him to where he is today. He's his own man. And I do believe it is going to be Hangman Adam Page who takes the AEW Championship off of Kenny Omega. I feel like that makes the most sense. Um, I'm excited for it. I think it's great long-term storytelling. This is something that's been going on ever since they became a tag team. The tag team broke up. Hangman went his way. Kenny went his way. And now all of a sudden, here we are. We're leading up to what looks like it's going to be a clash between the two. I think it's going to be of epic proportion, and I think Hangman's going to be the one who dethrones Kenny. Just my opinion. Could be wrong. Maybe not. Love to hear what your thoughts are uh, regarding that. Uh, the next thing was MJF uh, and Chris Jericho. Uh, they have their face-off. I love Chris Jericho. Chris, as we've said on many occasions, continues to reinvent himself. He continues to be somebody who every so many years finds a new way to present a new version of Chris Jericho to the audience. MJF, in a lot of people's eyes, is a great heel. MJF, in many people's eyes, is going to be, if he sticks around, and, and with wrestling, people start throwing money around. Who knows where someone's going to land? But let's just hypothetically say MJF decides to stay with AEW. People believe he's going to be the next greatest heel. I'm not sold on that yet. I think he's a great wrestler. I'm just not necessarily sold on his mic skills. And I know some people are probably going to scratch their head because, well, that's the majority of what MJF does. I just, I don't know. I don't always feel it. I don't always feel its sincerity. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's just me. 
it just doesn't seem I think he's super young and I think he needs to be a little bit more experienced his the way he presents himself needs to be a little bit more groomed obviously he's super young yes I realize that but I don't know right now I think he's on the right track I don't think he is the top guy or even in the top five of AEW right now but I think he's well on his way um Obviously, there's going to be a gauntlet. Chris Jericho has to go through all of uh, MJF's requests before he can get a match with him. The whole I slept with your mom stuff, I mean, I don't know if I necessarily get into that. Um, to me, that seems kind of like been there, done that, as far as this you know, dirty locker room jokes. It doesn't really appeal to me a whole heck of a lot. But, um, eh, it is what it is. Uh, Andrade. El Idolo, if I can even say that right. I'm just going to call him Andrade versus Matt Seidel. Here's something that really caught my attention about the Andrade-Matt Seidel match. You would think if you were going to debut Andrade that it would be almost a squash match where he would put four or five big moves together, just destroy somebody, look impressive. He doesn't break a sweat. He's glistened. He's oiled up. You know, and then he would cut a promo after the match. You would think that would be the way that you would introduce somebody, just squashing somebody and 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 saying, "I'm here." And we didn't get that. We got a match between he and Matt Seidel, which Matt Seidel looked great. Andrade, um, he looked okay. And, and I'm not trying to crap on Andrade by any stretch of the imagination. I just don't feel like he looked like. A top guy. And I don't know if that has anything to do with the way WWE had him working prior and now the way AEW is going to need him to work. I don't know. I'm hoping this is a situation much like we saw with Miro, where when he first came in, there was that adjustment period. And then Miro really kind of came into himself and led him to being this great monster who's now the TNT champion, so maybe we'll see more. But this first uh, version in the ring, I wasn't that impressed with. I mean, hit me up. Let me know. Do you agree with me? Do you disagree? I would love to know if you think that you thought this was a great introduction to a new company for Andrade, or do you think, eh, I don't know. Really, I thought Matt Seidel was going to win that match. And I will tell you what, I, there was a point in time when I thought, maybe they're going to have Matt Seidel beat this guy. And it's like, that's just that's just not the way to do things. So, we'll see. Not really sure where we're going to go with that. But once again, I do have confidence in what is going to happen in AEW because I have confidence in their creator. Next thing. We see Aleister Black, uh, who's now going to be known as, I believe it's Malachi Black. So... Arn Anderson's in the ring. He comes out. He's saying how great it is to be in Miami. And the lights go back out again. The commentators talk about, well, there's been inclement weather in the area. and Start talking about how maybe that's a factor. But then when the lights come back up, there he is. Black is in the corner. He hits the black mass on Arn Anderson. Cody Rhodes goes down, hits the ring. He hits black mass on him as well. The crowd explodes with this. I am very excited to know what is going to happen with Aleister Black in AEW. I think there's so many ways you could go with this. 
I think from a creative standpoint, he is very creative. If you've seen any of his interviews, if you have watched uh, any of the stuff he does on Twitch, um, very exciting and very intelligent man as well. And I felt like it was weird because he had been off TV for so long. They bring him back. It was going to be this new persona. And then he was cut. And it just didn't make any sense to me. It's like, oh, Alistair Black's coming back. Here's, you know, here's a vignette. Here's a vignette. Here's a vignette. When's he coming back? He's not. We cut him. And then he shows up on AEW. And I'm excited that he's there. And we will see where he goes from here. But I think that uh, everyone is going to be tuning in to see what the next move of Alistair Black, Malachi Black, is going to be. Uh, we had a tag match. We had Chris Statlander and Orange Cassidy, and they defeated the Bunny and the Blade. I will say this was a fun match. I I love Chris Statlander. I feel like she's an incredible wrestler. She's done an amazing job since she came back from her knee injury. I do think the Bunny is getting better. I think the more she has opportunities to be in the ring, the stronger she gets. I think Blade has always been a great wrestler is doing a phenomenal job. And I like Orange Cassidy and his and his shtick as long as it doesn't become too much. And what I mean by too much is, you know, the hands in the pockets and the little baby kicks and whatnot. I, I can get that. But I really love it when he catches fire and he does all of his incredible moves in the ring. I think that's what so many people love to see. It's that contrast between the I don't really care versus, yeah, I'm going to kick it into full gear here. So uh, Statlander and Cassidy end up winning that match. I thought it was a good mixed tag match. I liked it a lot. It seemed like the announcers were a little confused as far as, well, only guys going to go against guys or girls only going to go against girls or was it going to be mixed and was it going to be intergender or whatever. But either way, I thought it was it was a good match. Um Dan Lambert appears with Amanda Nunez, um, and I thought it was interesting because he cuts this promo in the ring, and I mean, it was really good. I mean, Dan Lambert did a really good job with that, and he ran down AEW and talked about how it was supposed to be this great place, and he doesn't think it's that great, and then Lance Archer runs out and gives him his finisher, gets in his face. He and Jake Roberts walk off. Where is that going to go? I have no idea. I think it's interesting. Um, maybe that's a teaser to something that they're planning on doing a little bit later on, maybe a program. And then we come to our main event, the Young Bucks versus Eddie Kingston and Penta for the AEW World Tag Team Championship. I thought this match was really, really good. Um, if you noticed some small things, Eddie came out with a Terry Funk shirt on, which I thought was awesome. Uh, he and Penta have really got great chemistry together. And they work to the crowd so well. Eddie has that underdog, street thug type of guy where you don't want to like him, but yet you do want to like him because you just want to root for somebody like him. And Penta's just so good with everything he does. Everything he does, and he's a heel, and, and everything he does is so crisp, and the way he gets up and he does the uh, the gestures, and he's good. It's fun. The Bucks are the Bucks. I mean, let's, let's be honest. They're probably the greatest tag team in wrestling right now. A lot of people believe that. Some people don't believe that. 
Um, but I personally do for the simple fact that consistently they are able to go out there and put on fantastic matches. Now, a lot of people will say, eh, I mean, it's not the, the young bucks of old. I, they're, they're doing the heel angle right now. I mean, you're not going to get the, the young bucks that are going to come out looking like the Rockers like they used to, right now at least. But it was a good match. Young Bucks retained the championships. It was fun. It was a great show. I feel like everybody went home happy. And I think we're really excited about what's going to be coming up on Dynamite next week. And, you know, obviously we have Rampage that is going to be coming on as well. Uh, AEW Dark, which is a lot of fun to watch on YouTube. So there's a lot of things. There's a lot of reasons to be excited about AEW. There may be some rumor and speculation that AEW may be bringing in... Uh, another championship at some point in time because they have such a, a a big roster. They also have such a big roster, I'm wondering if AEW is going to be making any type of cuts anytime soon. I think that would be interesting to find out as well. Do you think that they should make some cuts? Is there anybody you think that's in AEW that needs to maybe go, or at least go away for a while? Love to get your thoughts on that. But that is going to do it for right now. Those were just my thoughts um, about some news stories and about the rundown of AEW Dynamite. So please follow me on social media. I am at Mike Freeland. You can follow us at FRM Podcast. Uh, definitely check us out each and every Tuesday night. We are on Twitch. It is twitch.tv forward slash FRM Podcast. We love to have some fun. We love to hear from you. So hit us up. And until next time, I'm Mike Freeland.